This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. I'm here today at the Corinthia Hotel in Westminster, meeting with the fabulous Anne Cairns from MasterCard. She is the president of the international markets uh, and responsible for the management of all markets and customer-related activities outside North America. Now, Anne, everyone knows, I think, the MasterCard brand. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell me about some of the innovation MasterCard is currently leading with? Well, I think some of the most innovative things that we do are in the biometric field, and that links directly to inclusion. So, for example, a couple of years ago, we actually linked people to cards using their fingerprint and voice recognition across South Africa. So 21 million people could actually receive benefits based on biometric technology. And it actually revolutionized the way that people paid for things across South Africa and saved the government a lot of money and made sure that the money got into the people who needed it. Other things that we do, if we think about what's happening here in London, we worked with London Transport to actually bring up completely contactless London Underground. So now people can fly in from Heathrow and just move so easily around the cities. And actually today and every other day, about a million people tap on the underground to move around London in about 35 different currencies. So um, it's really revolutionized people's lives. That's really innovation, I think. And you've been with MasterCard for a while. Mm. What excites you most still about working for the brand? Well, first of all, it's a massive global brand and everywhere you go in the world, it's recognized and it has a feeling around it that people often say to me as I go through airport terminals, you know, who do you work for? And I say MasterCard and they say, oh, that's priceless, (laughs) (laughs) which is actually a a great feeling. But um, I think the real thing that inspires me is that we're using the brand to solve real everyday problems for people around the world and we're in over 200 countries so you can see the change on the ground whether you're working with smallholders in Africa for them to sell their edible oil on the telephone or you know whether you're working with people in Bulgaria to be able to go and have contactless bands to go to pop concerts or whether you're actually designing some rewards programs that are going to allow banks to expand their business with their consumer base and build in experiences. Because a lot of our research shows that people are really loving to spend time on experiences now rather than buying things. And this is a big change that's happened across the world, which is great. And so you're dealing with that kind of retail experience, if you like. But on the other hand, we also work with NGOs and governments helping refugees with the World Food Programme. Instead of parachuting food in, we can now issue them with cards or digital money so that they can buy food. There's just so many things that you can do with MasterCard. It's fabulous. Wow, hugely impressive. And I love the energy that you have uh, for the brand. MasterCard has been recognised as a leader in diversity and inclusion and as a major financial services company, 
What steps has it taken to earn this reputation? Well, I think some of the things that I've mentioned to you, such as bringing people who are underserved into the financial system, is actually helping diversity and inclusion. And you can't do that, actually, without starting to think about identity. You know, you don't immediately start to think about payments. You start to think about how do I identify who that person is? And as you know, many people born in different parts of the world, for example, if you're a girl born in quite a few parts of Africa, they probably haven't registered you at birth. You, you won't have a driving license, you won't have a passport, and so you actually don't have an identity. And we've been working with people like UN Women and the Nigerian government to actually roll out digital identities to people as a starting mechanism, again, biometrically. And on top of that, then you can layer technology that can do payments and so on. So that's a business example. If I think about our company as a whole, we're about 40% women, 60% men, although we're 50-50 at the intake level. And we've been doing all sorts of things recently, measures, trying to sort of get even better gender balance in the company. Things such as when we're recruiting externally, we want balanced slates of both men and women. We've got returners to work program that we bring in mid-career hires who sometimes stopped work. They can be men or women. It could have been, uh, you know, um, uh, following their spouse either side, if you like, and come back into the workplace five years later. We've standardized maternity and paternity leave around the world when you're in over 200 countries. That's quite some undertaking. Um, a 16 weeks maternity and eight weeks paternity leave in the firm, which in some geographies doesn't make too much difference, but in other geographies is a really, you know, good measure. And then we have a whole plethora of company activities, women's leadership networks, mentorship programs, sponsorship programs, sponsorship and mentorship being two things, two different things. And we have talent pools. And I personally feel that one of the best jobs in the company that trains you to grow to be a senior manager is if you're running a country, because in that situation, you're basically the CEO of the country. You're dealing with all the staff, the government, all of the deals, the way everything works on the ground. It's a really good general management position. And when I came in, I thought, I really want more women country heads. And so we went around systematically recruiting more women country heads. And by the way, they're not easy countries. We've got Ukraine, Nigeria, Colombia. We've also got, you know, Scandinavia, um, Spain, France, Taiwan, Singapore, most recently New Zealand. So it's great. So thinking about these things is very important. I love it that you're thinking about women to run countries. It has mm. quite a nice ring to it, doesn't it? So building on that, what difference do you think it makes to have more women in leadership positions at companies generally, not just at MasterCard? Well, the way I think about it is a balanced workforce is just a great thing from every angle, having people with different backgrounds, different points of view that can spark ideas off each other differently. They don't all agree. And actually, if I go into a room and I see a lot of guys sitting around, I sometimes say, you would hate to go home and be in a pub or at a party or some social gathering and you are all just guys. It wouldn't it just be so boring, but you just spend so much of your life at work 
you know, why don't you think about this in the work context? Wouldn't it be much better to have balance? And uh, very few of them disagree with that comment, <laughs> at least especially the former one about the social gatherings. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. We love a balance of people at our social gatherings as well. It makes it much more interesting. Yeah. How can the finance industry address gender inequality as a global challenge? You know, I don't think it's just the finance industry, though I do think that it's good to think about what are the unique things about your industry that are challenging and and how do you change them. But I do think that um, the key to it is, first of all, accepting that you want to achieve a balance then it's really measuring it, you know, measure where you are. And then it's having a real conversation from the way that you run the company, if you like, about what can you actually do about it. And we actually think of it in terms of what can we do in terms of our whole company structure? What can we do for society, which is some of the examples that I gave you? And what can we do because we're an innovative technology company in terms of developing products and services that would actually include people? And so I think thinking about it, not just as an internal company thing, but thinking about it as an industry can be really important. What didn't you know when you started out on your career path? And how would you do things differently now? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think that when I started out my career path, and I'm, I'm sure there's a hundred million things that I didn't know, I think that when you're younger, you feel that every decision is quite momentous. And what you really don't know is that you're going to change course quite frequently throughout your career. And some of those changes in course are going to be the best thing that you've ever done. And I think especially when you're young, you can't really make a mistake. You should do what you love and enjoy what you're doing and reach out for the next thing. And and just make sure that you're building up a very broad skill base and and that you're getting a bit of a track record and that you're building a network. And I think if you think and keep those things in mind, you're always going to be successful. Who was it that championed you along the way? Oh, you know, I had lots of people that helped me along the way and uh, championed me, I suppose. But to be honest, they were all guys because um, I worked for men. I didn't have a woman boss. And uh, in many cases, it was the guys that I worked for directly. Sometimes it wasn't. It was people who were peers or uh, other people that I had just met in the network. And uh, I always found if you wanted advice and you reached out to people for advice, they were always happy to give it to you. So it's really identifying those people who you feel feel like that and reaching out to them. Uh, When I actually went to work in Holland for a while, I did have a female coach who was wonderful for me. And uh, there was one example where I think I'd sat in a meeting and I'd said something like, well, I really care about customer service. And the whole room had gone stony silent. And I thought, what have I said? Because it sounded as if I'd said a really good thing. And then I came out of the meeting and I said, I met my coach a couple of days later and I said to her, this is what I said in a meeting. Tell me what I did wrong. And she said, you use the term I and you're in Holland. And that suggests that other people don't care about customer service because you personalized it. She said, if you had said something like, well, of course, we all care about customer service, which is probably what you meant to say, 
then you would have had a very different impact on the room. So actually finding people like that, that you can really ask the question, I think is really important. Somebody else once told me that if you want really good feedback on all of your pluses and all of your minuses, ask your ex-boss, not your current boss. Because your ex-boss, you no longer work for them. And they know you, usually warts and all, and they're the ones who feel absolutely free to tell you if you have a good relationship with them, you know, after a while. And I thought that was great advice. I think that's excellent advice. <laughs> if I came to work for you tomorrow, decided to throw in the entrepreneurial race that I'm on. <laughs> well, I think you should stay an entrepreneur if you decide to work for me tomorrow. <laughs> I think I'll probably be staying an entrepreneur. Either way, if I did come to work for you tomorrow, what would be the first thing I'd notice about the way you do things with your team at MasterCard? Mm. Well, first of all, I have a very open style. So I always trust people and share things because I think that's the best way to get things done. And obviously, I expect that to be reciprocated. Also, I, you know, I love to give people the ability to get on and do what they need to do. I'm not not somebody who's sitting over you, monitoring every step of the way. I do have the ability, though, to go from being very high level to being on the ground when I need to be. So just as I've described, I'm probably one of those people that if you said, you know, hey, I really need help with something then I would love to help you. So I think you would have that feeling. I'm quite a strong leader. I think you would find (laughs) that, you know, I can be quite directive at times, but it's only really to set direction, not to continue to be that way every day. Um, So I try to be unambiguous about things. It's not to say, by the way, that I I don't change my mind. Another thing that um, a friend and colleague once told me was that he said that I made decisions too fast. If you ask me, what do you think of this? Or, you know, what should we do about that? I'll probably tell you, you know, quite quickly. And this ex-colleague said to me, you know, Anne, you're very good at playing chess. Why don't you do that with decision making? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, don't give the immediate decision. Think about the next three steps ahead and then give your decision. She said, so think about the subsequent decision, the one after that and the one after that. And he said, you will speed up by slowing down. And I thought this was fantastic advice. So so this is, you know, something that you might see. I, I'm actually quite a strategic thinker and I'm thinking about, you know, not just what we're discussing now, but what it could mean in the future. Always three steps ahead. <laughs> Try to be. <laughs> so you've talked about coaches and, mm. and also, you know, great colleagues that you've taken feedback from. But when things get really tough, mm-hmm. who do you pick up the phone to? It's a very good question. I think it's a combination of different people. It depends what what the event is that is the tough event. But I have a pretty good relationship with my peers in the C-suite in the company. I particularly get on with the CFO. She's, she's wonderful, another woman, obviously. And also the guy who's the head legal counsel. I, I really get on with him well. These two people... I mean, obviously, are great trusted advisors because most of the time when you, you know, you're in tough situations, it can be financial, it can be legal. It's probably a combination of both. 
And so, you know, you've got very good sounding boards who are, you know, colleagues of yours. Obviously, I'd be very happy to pick up the phone to RJ as well, because, you know, he's got the same sort of style as me. He's very open. You can contact him at any time. I wouldn't hesitate to do that. And then I think, you know, you should never think that you can't ask the help and advice of the people who work for you. My guy who um, is running the Middle East and Africa may have a far better view, almost certainly better view than I would have on, say, some event that's happening in his territory or the same for the guy who's running Latin America. Um, So, you know, I would always feel that you could ask the people around you, the people who work for you, the people you work with. Absolutely. And then... If it's something to do with home or family or anything like that, well, I have a great husband who I've been married to for 40 years and we talk about everything, I have to tell you. And also, um, I have a best friend who I met on the first day of university. And she's somebody that, you know, again, I would talk to when I really wanted to share something, particularly say, you know, what's happening with our daughters or something like this, then I would reach out to her. So a very balanced, personal and professional Mm. approach. Yeah. What is your superpower? (laughs) That's a tough one. Um, (laughs) Well, I'd like to say x-ray vision. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this this goes to the, you know, are you thinking so many steps ahead? I think trying to see things, being able to see how things might evolve and synthesizing, expressing things in a simple way so that people can understand them and can move forward. Yeah, I would say that. I'd say I'm pretty tenacious or maybe a bit of a daredevil as well. I like it. I like it. Well, let's go with x-ray vision. I think that is, is spot on. What's something that people don't know about you? Oh, gosh, Uh, you know, with so many articles written, you wonder whether there is anything (laughs) people don't know about you in the Internet age. (laughs) Uh, Yes. I don't know what people don't know about me. Is there something you've held back from the interviews that you can give us? (laughs) I'm trying to think what to say for the answer to this question. You know, I think that sometimes people see other people and they think that it's been easy for them and that they've always been a super confident person. I try and talk to my daughter about this that's at London Business School and say um, that obviously you're going to evolve and you're a completely different person over the years that than the person you were, you know, you once were, if you like. So I think that people expect that you're always going to feel on top of the situation and in control and very calm and all the rest of it because, you know, I was uh, head of restructuring for Alvarez and Marsal for the finance sector across Europe and actually managed the whole Lehman unwind while I was in that role. And I think that when people see me as very calm, they're not seeing the real me because The best way to describe it is it's a bit like being a swan and that you're gliding along the water, but there's a lot of paddling. Yeah. (laughs) That's 
going on underneath. Now, do they know that about me? I don't know. But I think that, you know, you have a certain veneer when you're working about um, how you think and feel about something. And it's not always reflective of actually, you know, what you're holding inside. So for our last question then, what does success look like for you? I think that if success looks like that you create really good change in the environment. So, for example, some of the inclusion examples I gave you or uh, working with the World Food Programme around the world. Last year, um, we came up with the idea that it would be good to try and raise enough money to pay for 100 million school meals for kids and uh, roll this out as a global campaign among you know all of our countries to work with their customers and so on so for me setting these big goals and actually achieving them and being able to look back on that legacy and say that money really changed people's lives and understanding that you can do something like that that makes business sense that's actually in a, a social context while you're in the big corporate world is in my mind a fantastic measure of success because it means that your life is successful that you've successfully helped people as well as you know helped your brand helped your business and all of these things so not separating those two things but actually having a sort of holistic measure of success for yourself i think is really important well, Anne Cairns, it has been an absolute pleasure from biometrics to x-ray vision to being a wonderful swan. <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed our time and it's been great getting to know you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Workin' With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with.com. dot